Welcome to If You Love This Planet. I'm Dr. Helen Caldicott, and in this program we talk about the greatest medical and environmental threats to all life, such as nuclear weapons and nuclear power, global warming, ozone depletion, toxic pollution, deforestation, and many other social and political issues that relate to global well-being. So if you love this planet, keep listening. Good evening and welcome. Thank you very much for being here. It's really an honor to be here this evening. My name is Alan McGowan. I am the chair of environmental studies program here at the New School, one of the four co-sponsors of this event. On behalf of my fellow chairs, Jürgen von Maas, Jonathan Back, and Emily Moss, a hearty welcome. Tonight is a very special event with very special people, as you well know. That's why you're here. Well, I'm told uh, that it's the job of a moderator to be moderate, so uh, let me proceed to one introduction. Tim Marshall, the provost of the New School, former dean of Parsons, and I will tell you from personal experience, a passionate believer in the interdisciplinary programs of which we are one representative. It's a great pleasure to introduce him. Tim. Thank you, Alan. Uh, it's a great pleasure to welcome you here this evening for this important event and to everyone online as well. Tonight's program does bring together two important voices, Helen Caldicott, who has worked tirelessly for a safe, sustainable, nuclear-free planet, and the renowned journalist Bob Herbert. For more than 35 years, Helen Caldicott has been educating the public and policymakers about the medical hazards of nuclear weapons and the necessary remedy of citizen participation. Many of you may not know that she also taught a course here at the New School in the mid-90s uh, that is so topical I thought I'd quickly read a bit of the discourse description here. It was entitled Media, Global Politics and the Environment, uh, and this is how it was described. There is no denying that the world's diverse peoples have become interconnected by a global communication network. What is not so obvious is, this, is, that, is that this vast network, which influences the thoughts and lifestyles of billions of people, is dominated by a few transnational corporations. And since levels of consumption generated by advertising in both developed and developing nations are degrading the world's ecosystems, and since there is evidence that governments are, are unduly influenced by the media conglomerates, which poses a grave threat to democracy, the roles of these corporations have a direct bearing on the fate of the Earth itself. End of description. Helen Caldicott was co-founder of the Nobel Prize-winning Physicians for Social Responsibility, and in 2002, she founded the Nuclear Policy Research Institute, a Washington, D.C.-based think tank. She has received many prizes and awards for her work, including the Lannan Foundation Prize for Cultural Freedom and the Gandhi Peace Prize. The Smithsonian Institution named her to its list of the most influential women in the, of the 20th century. She is author of numerous books, including Nuclear Power is Not the Answer and Loving This Planet, both published by the New Press. And Loving the Planet is down here at the desk. Journalist Bob Herbert is a distinguished senior fellow with Demos and a contributing editor at the American Prospect magazine. From 1993 to 2011, he was the op-ed columnist for the New York Times, writing a twice-weekly column about politics, urban affairs, and social trends. 
Mr. Herbert's numerous awards include the American Society for Newspaper Editors Award, the David Nyan Prize from the Shorenstein Center at Harvard, Harvard University, the Meyer Berger Award, and the Ridenow Courage Prize for his, quote, fearless articulation of unpopular truths. It's my great pleasure now to turn the program over to Helen and Bob. Please come on. Thank you. Good evening. How are you? Thank you for coming. Um, it's a great deal of weirdness going on when you have a hurricane one week and a snowstorm the next. Um, so Helen is here to tell us <laughs> why that sort of thing is happening. Um, getting a little feedback on this microphone, I think. But. Testing. One, two, three. You can hear me? Good. All right. So the big news, we're going to talk a great deal about the environment, of course. Um, loving this planet. Congratulations on the book, a collection of interviews, and it's terrific. Um, but before we get to the environment, we're going to talk about the big news in the States, and that's the election, the re-election of Barack Obama. And um, I suspect that you were pleased with the outcome, but tell us a little bit about your reaction. Well, I was ex extremely disturbed that Romney might win, and of his 24 advisers, <laughs> 17 came from the Bush administration, including John Bolton and Wolfowitz, and really, really dangerous people. And it, it became clear during the election that he was really hostage to these people, and that he would probably bomb Iran. And the Physicians for Social Responsibility did a study to show that if two nuclear weapons were dropped on the two uranium enrichment facilities in Nahan and Isfahan, the resultant fallout could kill 2.6 million people. So I was pretty worried about that. Also, it would destabilise the Middle East and God knows what, and could lead to a nuclear war between Russia and America, who still target each other with thousands of nuclear weapons on hair trigger alert. And any such anxiety-provoking situation in the world, like 9-11, they went to the highest state of nuclear alert, or bombing, Iran could blow us all up and create the global gas oven. Um, so I was pretty concerned that if he won, I didn't know what I, I mean, I thought of, I didn't really want to live anymore. That's how I felt. Anyway, he didn't win. Obama, um, who I was really in love with um, the last <laughs> campaign, um, has really let us down a long way. I'm just hoping now that because he's been re-elected, he'll have the guts um, to take on the powers that be and do the right thing. I mean, if he appointed Krugman or, or Stiglitz as his financial advisors, that would be very good. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see, but I just hope, I just hope he realises that the fate of the earth depends upon, upon America, and I don't I think most Americans understand that, but we all understand it living outside America. When you say we all living outside of America, give us a sense in a general way of how we're perceived. I mean, um, I know a lot about what Americans think about what's going on. Exceptionalism, left, that left you're the greatest right. country on earth, yeah. <laughs> but uh, give us a take from, from the outside. It's what do, funny because what, do we, what when, do we look like? When I talked to an American audience, I said, you're not the greatest country on earth. You know, what about Australia? We've got kangaroos. <laughs> and everyone laughs. <laughs> look, you're seen 
with ambivalence. Um, you're very aggressive. You've got military bases in every country of the world. You've got no right to be in any other country of the world except your own, and that really upsets a lot of people, a lot of people. Your militarism is profound. Is it, are, are, are we generally perceived as an empire? Oh, sure. Okay. I mean, Australia's the 51st state. We're now hosting your Marines in Darwin. Uh, big war games are going on now in Queensland. We've got 34 bases, all of which are targets in the event of nuclear war. Um, we've got pathetic politicians who just are sick of vandal to the United States. And you're pretty tough. You know, you push people around. You supported Sahato. Well, Sahato, yeah, <laughs> who killed an awful lot of his people. Um, we've supported, you've a, lot, supported we've, a, we've lot supported a lot of bad guys. So, um, yeah, so um, that's one. Years. Number two, you know, your blasted multinational companies are everywhere. McDonald's and KFC, they even want to bring them into my little fishing village in Australia. And I, we hate that. And also the way you've, you've mobilised advertising so that we all covet our neighbours' goods and you're brilliant at advertising. You use sex to sell things and if you just buy this thing, you'll be happy and live sexually happily till, till you die sort of stuff. <laughs> and that's all over our television and we resent that. And yet, we're taken in by it and we buy the stuff, which is now all made in China, which is why after you sign the global, the GT, what, what is it, the global trade, global trade agreement, global trade agreement um, yeah, all your jobs have been carted off to China. I was just in a shop now in the village. Great, great clothes. Everything's made in China, you know? And then everyone's screaming, why don't we have jobs? Well, you don't have jobs. The only jobs you have are to produce weapons to kill people. And now because Obama and the Congress have to cut down the budget for the military, that's, that's Lockheed Martin and Boeing, what are they going to do? Oh, they're going to fix it. Business section, New York Times today. They're going to sell weapons abroad. So everyone can have weapons and kill people. Uh, one final question on us before we get to the environment, which encompasses everyone. Um, we had a conversation um, some time ago when we were talking about the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. And, um, and, and I do find it upsetting. I mean, people in the United States don't even talk about peace um, anymore. That's it's, it's not an issue that comes up. Um, we've been in a state of war for so long. But I told you that I was opposed to the war in Iraq, but that I had supported our invasion initially in Afghanistan. I think that we've been there m much too long. There's no reason to have been in Afghanistan more than a decade after September 11th. Uh, but you were um, taken aback, to put it mildly. I was. Tell me why. From someone so liberal as you, I was quite taken aback. <laughs> Look, I was here on 9-11. I'd just flown in from Australia to Eau Claire, Wisconsin to speak to a whole lot of university students. And I got up the next morning and watched the planes fly in. And I thought, what am I going to say to these students tonight? And it was a very big Christian campus and I was walking across the campus to have a swim and one woman said, do you believe in Jesus? And I said, I'm a pantheist. <laughs> and she said, you'll go to hell. And so she, she slapped me in the face psychologically. And I thought, this is a creepy place. So I thought, what am I going to do? You know, all these Christians. <laughs> so I got out the Bible and I read Luke. What Jesus said, love thine enemies and do good to those who hate you. So when the students filed in, ashen white, that's what I read to them. 
And I said, that's what Jesus preached. And that's we, what we must do. And we must find out who and why they did it. But don't go and kill a whole lot of people with vengeance. Well, a few days later, I got in a Greyhound bus and the whole country was swathed in flags. And it was God bless America. And I thought, oh God, why should God bless America anyway? And why are you so good? <laughs> Did anyway, you? and I, I was really scared that America would, would go for vengeance, and she did. And this country is the most powerful militarily in the world and can blow up the world. And we've got to stop killing people, Bob. I completely... I'm going to write I, a book I, called I, Why I, Men I, Kill. No, 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 I completely agree with that. I mean, I think that what's been going on is insane. Uh, you, you know, we, we, the bases that you talked about all over the world, the drone warfare where many innocent people get killed and even the allegedly guilty people... Um, you know, there's no uh, oversight or whatever, so you don't know whether they're actually guilty or not. And they have no recourse. So I, I agree with you. The killing is insane. Uh, but my final question on that is, did you not think that we had a right to go in Af into Afghanistan chasing al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden? Oh, you should. You had no right to do that. You could, you're pretty smart. Let's be frank. You know, they finally got, what's his name, bin Laden. Yeah. Do you know? The day after 9-11, the only planes in the air were the planes I, flying I out, the Bin Laden that. family flying them out. Duh. What connection did George Bush have to, with the Bin Ladens? The full story on 9-11 has not yet been told. I don't want to get into that. But just, just, just for the record, as a former journalist, sergeant in the army, I would have gone into Afghanistan. I know, and yeah. we disagree, yeah. and it's nice when we, we disagree because the audience likes it. We could have wound it. that conflict down very quickly. Bob, it, it, who were you, you going know. to kill? You didn't know who, who'd, who'd, who the guys were that yeah. went into the world. You had no, there were no connections with anyone in Afghanistan. You just went and killed blindly. Then you went into Iraq and you've killed one million people, half of whom are children. And you've used uranium weapons and the, the congenital anomalies in Fallujah and Basra now are huge. There is no disagreement between it's us on, on Iraq. That was insane. Unbelievable. Right. Al Gore, I mean, if he had been, he was elected president, he just wasn't allowed to become president. But if he, if he, if he had become president, we would not have had that uh, war in Iraq, for, for sure. But Al is upset because in this presidential campaign that we've just gone through, there was, as you pointed out, no discussion of climate change, global warming, uh, and that sort of thing. So um, let's start our discussion of the environment right there. The ice caps are melting. The oceans are rising. We've just been through the trauma of uh, Hurricane Sandy. We almost lost New Orleans to Hurricane uh, Katrina. We've had droughts. We've had terrible wildfires, Fire, all kinds of uh, mm -hmm. freakish events. I am like, really happy that uh, global warming is a liberal hoax perpetrated by folks like yourself, because otherwise I would be frightened. Um, actually, I'm hearing that even some conservatives are beginning to think this, but there Bob, might be something to this global warming. I'm a conservative because I'm for conserving life. I'm a doctor. I you, took the you, Hippocratic Oath. I'm keep, a conservative. You keep saying that. I Don't tell, you believe me? I tell people I am a liberal. I am a dyed-in-the-wool liberal. You are way to my left. Ellie. No, I'm a conservative. <laughs> uh, but, but let's talk about global warming seriously. Yeah. Um, do we still have our hand, heads in the sand on this issue, or do you think that we, that we might be at a moment where 
something could be done. I can't see that happening unless the people of New York rise up and lead this nation in a, in a, in a revolution. Well then, <laughs> I rest my case. She mentions revolution and gets applause. So well, we had a revolution in the 80s. When I first came in in 78, every American I spoke to almost said it's better to be dead than red. And I said, what? Oh, we don't want to be communists. You know that <laughs> And I said, well, what about the pygmies in Africa? They'll be killed too. They said, oh, they don't want to be communists either. And I thought, this is psychosis. So I started Physicians for Social Responsibility. We started dropping the bomb on Boston and New York and describing vaporization and burns and everyone dying. In five years, with the freeze campaign, five years with that campaign, 80% of Americans opposed the concept of nuclear war and supported a nuclear weapons freeze. That was the second American revolution. All right, we're gonna and get it was sagacious, peaceful, and Gandhian. And it was what Jefferson said, an informed democracy will behave in a responsible fashion. And we informed the American people about the medical dangers of nuclear war. Uh, actually, that's exactly the kind of revolution I'm in favor of. I am too. Gandhian principles. And, and, I, and that's uh, what I'm talking about. I, I, I know. Um, but we're going to get to nukes <laughs> in, a in a few minutes. But if, if assume Americans were willing to listen to you uh, seriously about climate change yeah. and global warming, um, and their minds were, our minds were open, what would you tell us? What do we need to be concerned about, and what do we need to okay. be doing? Well, um, I, I um, commissioned a study about three years ago called Carbon Free, Nuclear Free, written by a plasma physicist. And he was skeptical that you could survive on renewable energy. And he was amazed that, in fact, by 2050, but probably before then, America could be carbon free and nuclear free. You waste 28% of the electricity you use by leaving everyone, everything on. Nuclear power produces 20%. You don't need nuclear power. You are bathed by wind. There is enough wind west of the Mississippi to supply three times the amount of energy that this country currently uses. Why aren't solar panels on every single house and building in this country, including here, just been in Austria where they have snow, all, all the houses are covered with solar panels. Why are you so backward? I'll tell you why. Because Exxon has spent hundreds of millions of dollars setting up think tanks in Washington, mostly staffed by the same people, to convince people that there's doubt about global warming, the same technique that the tobacco companies did to say there's doubt about tobacco causing cancer. And it took us years to stop people smoking and to understand that smoking's lethal. So your oil companies own, and they get huge subsidies, they own the Congress. Your Congress is staffed by corporate prostitutes, they own paid the for the by Congress. the oil companies, and the nuclear companies, and now they want to drill. The Arctic ice is melting. So guess what? They're going to drill in the Arctic and make it worse. They, they Get only, more oil. They only own the portion of the Congress that's not owned by the defense industry. So it's not defense. It's them, offense. Giving them Don't too, call much, it too much credit. Call it the but War Department. If, um, uh, what happens? Tell us what happens if we don't do anything to start dealing oh, with the climate doomed. change. I was just in Freiburg in Germany at a big conference, and the the chairman of the International Energy Agency stood up and said, the way we're going, it's going to be six degrees centigrade hotter by the end of the century. Bob, that's antithetical to life. Right. 
and three degrees hotter by the middle of the century, and there's no evidence that anyone is doing a thing about it, including Australia. We've got a carbon tax, but don't worry. We're exporting so much coal to China, it doesn't matter. Huge <laughs> amounts of coal. Oh, it's jobs. So this is a bad analogy, but it's not really. I'm sure Hitler said, well, it, we'll, we'll create jobs by building gas ovens. But jobs to mine coal is going to create <laughs> the global gas oven and we'll all be dead. Not just us, but 30 million not, other species. Not the analogy I would have made. I know <laughs> it's not. Um, but Bill McKibben is um, in one of the interviews in, in your book, and he talked about a 129-degree day in Pakistan. And yeah. that, that was somewhat um, scary. So those are the kinds of extremes that you're talking about? We had about. a day like that in Australia on New Year's Day about three years ago. I thought I was going to die. Then that 129 degrees was yeah. the highest temperature ever recorded I, in, in well, Asia. Well, it was near that anyway. The poor old cat didn't know what to do with itself. All of my plants <laughs> were baked cat. like they'd been in the oven. I kept getting in the shower, but I mean, people die. But what's, so what's life going to be like for us if we took, if we took up the challenge and we move to uh, renewables in a big way. Yeah. But you would not be able to have the kind of power um, yes, you that, would. that we have now. Oh, yes, you I would. I do think that we'd have to. Yes, I'd be in would. favor of lifestyle change. Darling. But I think oh, no, we'd I must have to have. You, darling. you can call me darling. <laughs> All right. <laughs> darling. <laughs> there are solar thermal plants now that store the energy overnight. You can use gas-fired plants, too, if the solar isn't working. You can transport all the wind energy from the Western states, but you've got to upgrade your grid. And guess what if you do this? With windmills, geothermal, cogeneration. I mean, your buildings now should be heated by, by geothermal energy. There's a building on Cape Cod, it's a Woods Hole Institute, totally heated and cooled. You just put pipes in the ground, and the ground is underneath the same temperature the whole year. So you heat and cool your house or huge building with geothermal energy. Can you imagine the number of jobs that would be created if America had the initiative and drive and courage to get away from those evil people who control the Congress and put solar panels on every building, solar-powered cars with solar panels on every parking lot, not, not hybrid, solar-powered cars, charge the char car up during the day, power the house up at night, windmills everywhere and wind generators taking the wind on, on new um, transmission lines. Your GDP would go up to glory. It would be a new FDR New Deal. And you would lead the world towards sanity and survival. And don't tell me you haven't got the initiative and courage to do that, because that's what Amer made America great. You've got to be great again or lead the world towards destruction. In order to be great because again... Because we follow you. In order to be great again, we have to do what you said yeah. we have to do. Yeah. There has to be a citizen's movement, a I citizen's action movement. to be. <laughs> well, for you to be president would require a citizen's action I movement. Know. Uh, in this no, country. we need, and yeah, that we would need be a way of getting us. What about uh, you, Andre? Back on, back on track. Well, you can no. be president. And I, actually, I was up in Boston. Some fellow said, "I can raise some money. Would you like to run for Congress?" <laughs> I said, "Are you out of your mind?" No. I have a. I'm smarter than that. Let's go on to one. Well, that's the problem. We don't have smart people in the Congress. We have that boner guy, or that's what George Bush, Bush called him, boner. Boner. <laughs> Leave it alone, Bob. <laughs> We're going to go on to one of your favorite topics. Um, 
nuclear power, to say that you are not a friend of the nuclear power industry is an understatement. So how did you become so interested, and this goes back a ways now, yeah, yeah. how did you become so interested in nuclear power, um, in nuclear weapons, as you put it, yeah. in all things nuclear? Yeah, well when I was about 16 I read a book called On the Beach by Neville Shute. I remember it well. And I lived in Melbourne, which is where the book was set. Right. So there's a nuclear war in the Northern Hemisphere which could occur tonight. And we all survived, but no one else did because we're so far south. And gradually the radiation came down. And then the government dispensed cyanide capsules to kill the baby so they'd die suddenly, not with lingering effects of vomiting and bloody diarrhea. And then eventually everyone died. And the beautiful, elegant streets of Melbourne were still there with St George slaying the dragon outside the public library. And a blind was gently flapping in the breeze. And that was the end of life on earth. I lost my virginity then. I never trusted anyone again. I read everything I could find about nuclear weapons. I then did first year medicine, age 17, learned about Muller, who irradiated Drosophila fruit fly and produced genetic abnormalities passed on generation to generation. So I understood what radiation did. Those two combined, plus America and Russia were testing in the atmosphere like there was no tomorrow and there was fallout all over. Barry Commoner and others, Linus Pauling, would said children would get leukaemia from this. It was so obvious to me as a medical student. I couldn't understand why these men were doing this. And I still can't understand it. And what they're doing is evil. And so you decided? Well, I didn't really decide anything. I, you, I, you became committed to this issue in a way... Well, I came to Boston when I was a young mother of three children under three and worked at Harvard. But I was radicalised because it was 66 to 69. Nixon was elected. Bobby was shot. I got up one morning and there he was lying, bleeding to death. Uh, the Civil Rights Movement. Martin Luther King was shot. Anti-Vietnam War. And I saw a democracy in action. And I was radicalised. No, I wasn't radicalised. I saw a country with a democracy. And Australia was sound asleep. My mother had just died. I was going through a lot of grief. Then I read Germaine Greer, the female eunuch. <laughs> and I thought, can I say that? Can I do that? Can I be that? And then I decided I knew with white hot certainty with my, what my truth was and I would never again not speak my truth, ever. And I would stop flirting to get my way, although I like flirting. So now, <laughs> so now that has to do with nuclear weapons. But a lot of my liberal friends say, all right, global warming is real. We have to do something about the way we uh, manufacture and use energy in this country. And that means that we have to hold our nose and go for nuclear power. That is absolutely essential. What's your response so to that? So why are your liberal friends so ignorant? <laughs> I want you to tell us. Um, well, that makes me cross. And, they have and, no and right to be ignorant. Where they're wrong. Well, they haven't read my book, Nuclear Power is Not the Answer. That's right. And the first chapter deals with the fact that nuclear power produces a substantial amount of global warming gas. Because the reactor doesn't stand alone, like suddenly God went <laughs> and made a reactor. You've got to mine millions of tonnes of uranium, huge amounts of fossil fuel, two huge coal-fired plants in Paducah, Kentucky, to enrich the uranium. 93% of the CFC gas emitted by you 
because this nuclear industry has been grandfathered out of the Montreal Protocol, comes from Paducah, Kentucky, and it's 20,000 times more potent as a global warmer than CO2. Then you've got to build a reactor, huge amount of concrete, then you have to decommission it, then you have to store the radioactive waste for a million years. It produces a hell of a lot of CO2. So the nuclear industry lies. And I don't believe in this day and age when the Earth is in the intensive care unit, acutely clinically ill, that any scientist should lie. If we lie in medicine, we would be killing or damaging our patients and be deregistered. I don't believe in freedom of speech when it comes to Rush Limbaugh talking to an ignorant population with lies. It's too important now, Bob. We can't lie to our patients. Well, the earth is the patient now, and we're all physicians to the patient. And it's imperative that people, your liberal friends, not be so stupid and they educate themselves. It's so easy. They can get on the internet, read my... I mean, it's all over the place. Don't they? And nuclear power with its waste will induce epidemics of cancer, leukaemia, and random compulsory genetic engineering for the rest of time. My specialty is cystic fibrosis. My, all my patients die young. There are 2,600 such diseases. They'll all be increased in frequency by radioactive waste getting into the food for the rest of time. It's all over Europe now. Much of the food in Europe's radioactive. I don't eat European food. And now half of Japan's contaminated. And we're exporting bombs by exporting reactors because 250 kilos of plutonium made a year in a reactor, you need five kilos to make a bomb. And America wants to sell it to the United Arab Emirates, to Saudi Arabia. Oh, well, let's have lateral proliferation of nuclear weapons, which will destabilize the balance of terror and almost certainly induce a nuclear war. And on top of everything else, the um, nuclear plants, uh, nuclear power is not cost effective. Can you talk a little bit about that? It costs 12 to $15 billion now to build a reactor. You cannot, build the, you cannot build these reactors without public subsidies. It's all totally paid for by tax dollars. The insurance, everything's paid for. And then when the reactor's built, then the utilities come in and sell the electricity at a million dollars a day. And that's why they want to keep them open long past their use-by date when they become extremely dangerous, like, like Indian Point, and probably melt down. And you're lucky you didn't have a meltdown in this last hurricane. The um, Michael Madsen. Yeah. He's one of the people yeah. whose interview is in your book. Yeah. And this is, uh, I, I found this really chilling. Yeah. <clears throat> He's a film director who made a documentary about nuclear waste. And he talked about a project in Finland that has been called the first post-human structure. And it's a nuclear waste storage facility that, once it's finished, cannot be disturbed for 100,000 years, is that correct? Correct. Would you tell us about that? It's actually a million years according to your EPA. Oh, yeah, according to America, it's a million years, but let's start with 100,000. What do I, you want me to say? I want you, I want you to ex explain uh, what this facility does and why we can't disturb it for 100,000 years. Well, first of all, no container that you put radioactive, high-level radioactive waste in will last longer than 100 years. Furthermore, I've just found out that radioactive waste causes a lot of helium to build up, and helium's a gas. And with 100 years, these containers will probably explode, releasing all their radioactive contents. Now, they want to put it in granite in Finland, but there are cracks in granite. And we're talking about ice ages and earthquakes 
And so this stuff is going to obviously leak out of whatever container you put it in. So what we're talking about is nuclear waste in this underground capsule, yeah. essentially, or bunker, however you yeah, want yeah. to describe it. Um, and then that waste is radioactive, and as a result of the radio, uh, radioactive half-life, it would not be considered safe to disturb it for 100,000 years. Yeah. So you have to leave it there. But the point that this fellow makes is, even as, if this thing were to work the way it's supposed to work, even if you didn't get the cracks, which I agree with you, you mm. could get cracks, you could have an ice age, you could have an earthquake, anything could happen. But even if none of that happened, civilization changes over the course of 100,000 years. So you could have, imagine what our species was like 100,000 years ago. So you could have um, a situation where no one understood what this stuff is that's buried down there. And they go down there, let, let's check this out. And it let's, glows in let's, the dark. Let's find, let's find yeah. out, you, you know. So there's, there's all kinds of potentials for um, catastrophe. Well, the DO you know. is employing... In America, we don't know what to do with the nuclear waste. No, I know you don't. But you keep making more. I know. Every day. So You're nuts. What's the, what are the implications of that? That we have nuclear power plants, we're building up nuclear waste every day. The nuclear waste if, is on site right next to the plants. Right? Like at Fukushima. I know, just like what happened If building in four collapses at Fukushima with an earthquake greater than seven, there's ten times more radiation in that cooling pool than was released. Where, at Chernobyl? Help me. I can't remember. I don't know. Chernobyl, I think. And if that goes down, they're going to have to evacuate Tokyo, 35 million people. And they can't get it fixed for at least two years. And, it, and the, the stuff will circulate around the Northern Hemisphere. The rods will burn, and you might have to evacuate. Well, the I mean, we're talking about absolute medical catastrophe. The, corp the, the corporate political elite in this country says we have to go to more nuclear plants. Well, they're idiots. If we're going to do something about like global warming. I am so... Yeah, but I just told you it causes global warming. And are we going to kill people with an industry down the time track so we can turn our lights on? And people uh, wake up generations now with their kids already getting cancer, the breast milk already radioactive, I'm and they're, on, they're saddled with all our radioactive waste. Who do we think we are, Bob? I'm on your side. I, think I know we should, you are. We need to shut down the plants that exist so how, now. Let's shake. We'll shake on Let's that. do it together. I think, I mean, I've written about this. <laughs> uh, I, I think nuclear power is it's another insane. form of insanity. And you know why they started it? Because there was a psychologist in the Pentagon in the 50s who wrote an article saying we need to start the peaceful atom. Yeah, as a, as a kind of Trojan horse for the weapons industry, he actually <laughs> wrote that. So it's really all about weapons blowing up the world. It's what it's about. And it's the same, it's E equals MC squared. The, um, the power is enormous. Oh, I know. I, I think most people don't know, but you know, we saw what happened in Japan. We saw what happened in Chernobyl. I'm going Chernobyl. next week. I have we to saw, wear we saw goggles. What happened, we saw what happened at Three Mile Island. Yep. So we know that these disasters are going to occur. And a million occur. people already have died as a result of Chernobyl, yeah. according yeah. to the New York yeah. Academy of Science. Yeah. And I've written about plants in the U.S. that already have had... And they go on and on about breast cancer, right? And people wear pink ribbons and Obama wore a pink thing. And the You don't wait till the patient presents themselves with breast cancer. Because we usually can't cure it. Sometimes we can. 
What you do with, with an incurable disease is you prevent it. You don't foster an industry that is a cancer-causing industry. You know, I mean, how many people have I helped to die of cancer? My father died of cancer in three weeks because he built two houses out of asbestos. He was 51. My father died of cancer that was a result of um, smoking, and I completely agree go. with you. They did the same thing yeah. with cigarettes. How they, the old big was corporations. He? Well, uh, he was uh, 66 years old when he got Lung cancer. cancer. Oh, now, and so he 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 lived for, for another 12 years. Did he? But it was after the treatment and everything. He was he was not the same no, man. No, it's he terrible. Was, he, yeah, and and he died. At, so he died so at I age 70. So I can't 70. understand why the AMA, American Medical Association, the American Cancer Association, isn't saying close down the reactors. But the but the point is that because they're, they're you, cancer factories. You know, I just want to emphasize your point about the industries who are telling people that this stuff is not dangerous. That it's the same thing as you said. Tobacco. That the tobacco industries did, yep. you know, cigarettes. They, exactly they, the same. At, there was a time when they said and cigarettes were good for you. Yeah, they did. They had doctors smoking. I know. Advertising it. Um, so let's go to, um, yeah, you know, it's Fright Night. Let's go to another scary story. Uh, one of your interviews in the book was with Maud Barlow, and she's a Canadian expert on planetary uh, water mm. issues. This water is something that most people. Uh, take for granted. Uh, but it turns out that parts of the planet, um, are significant parts of the planet, are in terrible shape when it comes to water. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah, well, because of global warming, the glaciers are melting, and the Ganges is going to dry up, and the Yellow River and the Yangtze, they're going to dry up. You say that with this little, like, demonic grin on your face. <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock should be here. I shouldn't the do Ganges that. I don't, I don't gonna, know why I do Ganges that. The Ganges is going to dry up. Well, well, I do it thinking that if people understand that, they'll all, you know, uh, get solar panels on the roofs and, and windmills and stuff. I, th right. I think that's my dynamic. I'll have to psychoanalyze myself. Jimmy Carter had solar panels on I the I know, house. and Ronald Reagan removed them. And, and Barack Obama won't put him back. Won't he? Nope. Well, no, that's right, he won't. I, I spent an hour and a quarter with Ronald Reagan holding his hand in the White House trying to teach him about nuclear weapons and clinically his IQ is about 100. And I diagnosed that he had impending Alzheimer's and he did. Did you know that? Oh, did I know what? That you had spent this time I held time his hand it? and... No, I didn't know that. Yeah, he got pretty upset and anxious. You know when he got anxious he got a red flush? on his cheeks, and so I I'd have to hold his hand and reassure him, because he knew nothing about nuclear weapons or CIA or anything. Don't, 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 get, don't get me started. Didn't. How did you elect we such a man? We don't have time to get me started on Ronald Reagan, please. Um, let's stay with water. Uh, water, yes. China, I understand from this interview in your book, um, is creating a desert the size of Rhode Island every year. Mm -hmm. um, that Mexico City is sinking on itself because of water issues, and corporations are buying up a great deal of They're the privatizing water supply. Water. How dare they? Privatizing water? Soon we'll be walking around with oxygen bottles on our back. They'll privatize the air. So what do we do about? Oh, this? these what, corporations how, are how, evil. How do we begin to deal well, with Well, you water take on issues? the Supreme Court. Half of them should be in jail for Citizens United. <laughs> they should be. 
I mean, I, I think Americans are too passive. It's hard to mobilise Americans. I tell them all this stuff, you know, and I say, you know, you spend a trillion dollars on weapons a year and you don't have a free healthcare system. I mean, if someone took away our free healthcare system in Australia, there'd be a real revolution. Uh, there'd be blood in the streets, I tell you. Why are Americans so passive? I, I, actually, what I don't know. I, I think that there is a, um, seriously, I think that there is a tendency in this country to take a fantastic view of serious issues. I don't know if this is a result of Hollywood and or television yeah. or whatever, uh, but Americans fantasize a lot and, and we sort of have the attitude Live in that, fairyland. that, yeah, that, you know, Disneyland. oh, it's going to take care of itself or it'll be all right or yeah. these horrendous things that folks tell us are going to happen are not really going to happen or they're not really going to be that bad. And then, you know, it's only when the crisis actually occurs um, that we do anything about it. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's uh, in New Orleans or whether it was the financial meltdown um, in 67 yeah, but, and but 68. Think, but think of the 80s when 80% when of Americans rose up against nuclear weapons and we had a million people in Central Park. That was profound. Well, you, 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 that requires leadership and I think that's what's been lacking for a long time. We do need a citizens, I know. We do need a citizens movement yeah. in this country. Mm. We do need but you need the cooperation of the media because the media is determining You the can Earth. do it even without the cooperation of media. You could do it if you had the leadership and mobilized the people. If you remember remember, uh, back in the early days of the civil rights movement, there was no media coverage, and the coverage that there was was mm. hostile. Yes, it but was. folks were committed to these issues, yeah. and they went for it. In the early days of the women's movement in this country, That's true. The media was absolutely hostile. Women were ridiculed, and, and um, you know, people were bra burners, and you know, all this kind of stuff. And yet they prevailed because they they stayed they stayed with it. They did. And 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 there absolutely was no media support for the gay rights movement. Mm -hmm. And the gay rights movement just it, it just which look you know, at what's started, happened in the election started now. down here yeah, in the village. I know. And they they would not stop. And now you have states legalizing gay marriage. If you're to you know great, Bob went it? to parochial school in Montclair, New Jersey. If you had said something about gay marriage at Immaculate <laughs> Conception, you know. What's the, that the, the, <laughs> The building might have fallen down. <laughs> Isn't it? Penetration without implantation is a sin. That's what they used to tell young girls at a Catholic school before they were well, even this pubertal. Is, this, this is what, what I mean. What were the priests doing? <laughs> penetration without implantation is a sin? Immaculate conception? What's all this virgin stuff? <laughs> Final question I'm going to ask you about before we go to questions from the audience was something that you just brought up a couple of minutes ago, and that was um, you talked about um, the healthcare system in Australia. Yeah. So now uh, Obama's been reelected. Yeah. So now we have um, you know the Affordable Care law. They're, they call it Obamacare. Even Obama mm. calls it Obamacare now. Um, critique Obamacare. Is it? Um, it's no good. That see. They've still got all the insurance companies making money. There should be, look, doctors shouldn't make a lot of money. Our, med, our, our profession is a sacred profession. People tell us their decret, innermost, most secrets. They undress and bear their bodies to us. It's sacred. The most I ever earned in medicine was $25,000 when I was on the faculty at Harvard. They don't pay you very well there. If a patient can't afford to pay you, he or she will bring you a cake or a chicken, you know? 
It's obscene that these insurance companies are into medicine. Medicine isn't a business. It's like so, being a priest or a nun or a teacher. So how does it work in, in Australia? How well, what do you mean how does it work? It's, well, it's well, nationalised. Uh, talk a little bit about what happens if you... It's like your Pentagon, it's nationalised. If you're getting um, uh, routine preventive type care... Okay, I'll tell and you. And then what happens I go to my if GP. you have an illness? I go to my GP, mm -hmm. I pay my money, I go next door, and the Medicare office hands me the cash in hand that I paid my GP. My friend broke her kneecap in five, eight places. She was taken by ambulance put in St Vincent's Hospital, there for eight days, best orthopaedic surgeon in Sydney, anaesthetic. She's American. Do you know how much it cost her? Nothing. Well, I keep hearing from, these are my conservative friends now, now I have conservative and liberal friends. My conservative friends tell me that, oh, if you're gonna talk about um, England or, or Australia or Canada, all kinds of horror stories with the healthcare. That uh, comes from the insurance know. companies and the rhubarb they give you here, the propaganda. Don't believe your propaganda. The truth is that we have in this country two forms of single payer healthcare yeah. that work. Free. Work, I don't understand single work really payer. Really well. One is um, um, Medicare, uh, which works really well. And then you have, it's not, e it's not even single payer, but uh, in the, the VA, um, yeah. the VA system in the, in the um, military. Yeah. And, you Why know. do you call it single payer? I don't understand well, that terminology. The Why don't you just call it nationalized <laughs> medicine? Well, Medicare is nationalized yeah, medicine. Yeah, but what, it, what does single payer mean? It, it means that the, Who's the, the, payer? the, the government is oh. the, the, the taxpayer, essentially, is the, is the mm. payer. We don't, have the, we don't have a third party. We don't have an insurance company. You talked about doctors shouldn't make a lot of money. They shouldn't. Well, why should insurance companies make any money at they all? They shouldn't make any money at all. Right. And you see poor old ladies, you know, at a desk in the hospital and they've got all these forms and they don't know what to fill out and who to go to and it's just a total morass, a disaster. <laughs> and it's cruel. All right. Anyway, um, thank you. I think that was great, but we are now going to uh, take some time out and uh, see if we have some questions. Now it's your turn, audience. and um, ushers will go around with uh, microphones, and you people online, if you have a question, then please type it in, and we'll get it to the two people on the stage. So I have a question, given yes. that we just went through Sandy and... Bob, you live in Manhattan, and uh, Upper Ellen, West you're, you're, you're a constant visitor to the United States. Uh, you were here for quite a while. So is Sandy going to make a difference? One, notice you talked about the lack of any expression of concern or anything in the presidential campaign. The media are full of speculation about what's going to happen. Does Sandy make a difference? Do you so think, think people Bob are actually going to react as we all think they should? I am going to take, take that then. <clears throat> um, I think Sandy is not going to make a difference. I think that, um, I think that we're, it's going to be like all the other events. Yeah. Um, you know, Katrina didn't make a difference. Uh, there, I was on a television program. The days are running together this week. Uh, it must have been yesterday. And one of the questions, uh, we were discussing the election, and one of the questions was, 
All right, who's going to be running in 2016? You know, and is it going yeah, to be right. Christy? Well, and is it going to be Hillary? And, and uh, you know, it's like, please, enough already. Yeah. And so now we're going to be faced with the fiscal cliff, and all the coverage is going to be about the fiscal cliff and Obama versus uh, Boehner and, and that sort of thing. And what's going to happen with the Bush tax cuts? We are not going to get to a serious conversation, I don't think. That's your media. About global warming, climate change. That's and what almost the most discouraging energy. thing I've heard in, this in, evening. In, in That's this your media. Now, I hope that I'm wrong. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, you know, the fact that I say it does not mean that it's so, but that is my opinion. Question? Comment. <laughs> um, I just want to say that we're not going to see it in the lamestream media. But there's right now Occupy Sandy. I sent them $10. All those people that were down at Wall Street that nobody's covering, they have not gone away. They're in Rockaway. They're in New Jersey. They're in Breezy Point, And they're taking care of people and getting money. And don't give your money to the Red Cross. Give it to Occupy Sandy. Just go to the to the website. I don't think we'll ever be the same after this. Maybe in New Orleans we didn't pay attention, but this is New York. I mean, you don't <laughs> screw around with New York. That's <laughs> Please, there's another, there's a hand back there. Okay, oh, thank you. Uh, I agree with everything you said except going after the Taliban after 9-11, but I, I truly am questioning this. I'm not making a stand. Why is it our responsibility? Why, why is America supposed to lead the world? We have the worst government going. It is incredibly corrupt, as you pointed out. It, isn't your government better? Is England's government yeah, better? Yeah, government's much better. Well, then why, why is it our responsibility when we already have to fight all that stuff before we you get have, done? Because you have accepted the responsibility of being the most powerful country on earth. You've got military bases in every country of the world. You manipulate the politics in many countries of the world, including the Eastern Bloc countries after they left the Soviet Union. You're surrounding China with anti-missile bases as I speak, although she's your biggest trading partner. She's your new Cold War enemy because the Pentagon has to have enemies in order to steal your money to build the weapons and militarize space, which is what they're doing. Um, Romney was going to start a new Cold War with Russia, but you've actually got anti-missile bases. You want to build one in Poland and Romania. You know, I don't know if you know what your country's actually up to in your name because they don't tell you. And we see it from the outside, and you don't see it here because you reckon everything's just hunky-dory, but it's not. And America's scary. And what's more, you, ex uh, you, you ex uh, export all your propaganda, your lousy ads, you know, about your rectums and your erectile dysfunction and, you know, whether your false teeth are sticking to the top of your mouth or, I mean, most obscene sort of ads you, you have now. Well, they into our television. Do you know, I'll tell you an apocryphal story, and it was in Jerry Mander's book, um, Absence of the Sacred. There were some Eskimos, Inuits, and they had their normal life and they dried their fish and plaited the, the leather and hunted the polar bears and lived in their igloos. And then they got electricity. And then they got television. And then the old women started praying for the people in Dallas. And then the young men and women left to go to a better life. And their life was destroyed. That's what I'm talking about, the power of your media. Now look at China. I was in China in 80, 
87 or 88, there wasn't a single car. There were millions of bicycles. There was one, one tall building in Beijing, which was the Great Wall Building, built by the Americans. There was not, nothing. And I said, I came home and wrote my book, If You Love This Planet, if China goes way of America and they all get refrigerators and cars, we've had it, the earth's doomed. And that's happened. So you export your culture, your coveting culture, to the rest of the world so that everyone will buy this rhubarb that no one needs on a finite planet. The resources are going to dry up. You can't keep making stuff like this all the time. And the way to fix the economy is we've got, to, as George Bush said, flying by, flying by. We've got to stop buying stuff. We're, but I don't see any hope because Wall Street is all about gambling and the churches didn't like Wall Street years ago. They thought it was evil. And then they've sort of come over to think, well, it's okay to gamble. But they don't even gamble now because the computers make decisions within microseconds, millionths of a second. And the money's all over the world. I don't even see how the economy works. I don't understand it, let alone how it's going to continue in a finite planet as we're destroying the atmosphere, we're destroying the oceans, we're destroying the fish, we're destroying the forests, we're, you know, we're overpopulating to glory and everyone's arguing about abortion, for God's sake, when we've got too many people on the planet. Being gay is good, because that's good for overpopulation. No? <laughs> the whole thing's madness. And, no, and the problem is most politicians are scientifically and medically illiterate and they've got their hands behind their backs, taking the tips. Um, we need someone with some guts to be the president and get in Congress and who understands because science is now so complex. I can't even keep up with my own area in paediatrics of cystic fibrosis, let alone paediatrics, let alone the whole area. And then the scientists go and work for corporations and their applied science is often used for evil, often for killing. We live with 80,000 chemicals in common use, most of which have not been tested for mutagenicity. I mean, what are we doing? We're so pathetic and we're like pawns or puppets on strings and we all watch the television. And when we watch television, our brain waves go into alpha activity, so we sort of settle back. Power of critical thinking goes. It all goes through the neocortex into the midbrain and lodges there. You don't have time to think. And then you go out and buy the next thing you've been seen on television, even though you might not like advertising. It's very clever. And Madison Avenue is full of psychologists working us to buy crap. And it is. And I've just walked along the streets and you, I've never seen so much rubbish. <laughs> rubbish. And I look at the rubbish and it's mostly packaging. It's mostly packaging and plastic. And there's an island in the middle of the Pacific twice the size of Texas made of plastic. And the albatrosses are feeding it to their baby birds and then they get intestinal obstruction and die and the fish are dying. And more and more plastic, not just one. You'd put it in two bags now in every shop I go into. Oh, do you want a bag? What are we doing? We're nuts. So obvious. And yet, I don't know, you answer it. <laughs> I, wouldn't you follow, answer it. I wouldn't follow that. On a bet, that was wonderful. No, but you I answered the question. Why are we nuts? <laughs> well, That's I what know. I want to know. I don't know why. We're, well, I think that Americans, um, who I think, as I said, live a lot of the time in a fantasy world. Yeah. I think most Americans 
want want to be part of the most powerful country on the yeah. planet that they want to be number one yeah. when you go to a football or a baseball yeah. stadium you'll hear the chant usa usa yeah. or we're sick. number one we so, have it in australia but too. i don't think that most americans understand the implications of that in what and i agree with you that most americans don't understand what's being carried out in their name no so, they don't right. Question There's one there. I want Elle to ask a question because I've known Elle since she was born. <laughs> Elle. She calls me Hells, which is Hell on Wheels. Um, <laughs> she needs a mic. Um, as someone from the current generation, is there a way you suggest I can extend your message to my peers? I'm extremely concerned about the ignorance of our generation regarding nuclear power and the environment. Um, for instance, I told someone today about what I was doing tonight. One of one of my friends. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Did you hear anything else I just said? Yes. yes. No. Um, yeah. So I spoke to one of my friends today. I said, oh, "I'm going to a meeting about nuclear power tonight," and she said, "Well, wh why? Why are you doing that?" And I said, "Well, it's it's you know massive issue that we should all be concerned about," and she said, "Well, no, my dad's friend's a scientist, and he said it doesn't." you know, release any emissions. So it's not a problem about, you know, nothing to do with global warming, nothing, it's, it's fine, nuclear power's fine. And that kind of mentality frightens me. Uh, I, I think that it's a, a great idea to try and use social media uh, to spread the word on this sort of thing, but I also think that it's really important to have uh, younger folks like you and, and Rachel sort of pushing these issues and enlightening your, your friends and others in your generation mm. Uh, to the importance and, and to the profound implications of what we're talking about. So, um, yeah, I just really encourage you to follow through. We have to call it to a close. I see people are leaving. Um, there are books here. I recommend it. It's a good read as well as it's important. I've actually read it, which is amazing. And I uh, support them. I think they could be persuaded to sign a few books if you were to per Purchase them. And so Bob's in it too, so we'll both sign Yes, it. no, they'll we'll both sign it. We'll both sign it. So join me, join me in thanking our you're two wonderful it. guests. That, yeah. That's Thank why you so much. <laughs> you're a great audience, terrific audience. You've been listening to If You Love This Planet with Dr. Helen Caldicott. This program is broadcast on community radio across the United States, including our host station, KPFT Pacifica, Houston, Texas. This program is produced and engineered by Jazz Williams, co-produced by Scott Powell, and our publicity and outreach are coordinated by Amanda Bellerby. To listen to previous shows or to make a donation, go to our website, if you love this planet.org.